Hi, Taraji. How are you? I'm good. Good. You look great. I've been watching you Thank working you. out. I was like, I need to be working out with her. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I was, I was, yeah. It got it got rough during during the the quarantine. I saw some yeah. numbers on a scale that I never thought I would. Me see too, and that's what I got alarmed. And I was like, Well, you ain't getting no younger, so you might as well get it now or say fuck it. I'm Anika Noni Rose, and this is Being Seen, an in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on Black women, Being Seen is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. I am not your strong Black woman. I am a feeling Black woman. I am a growing Black woman. And I am sometimes a frightened Black woman. Invincibility is not something I aspire to, but longevity is. And that means so is health. Health for my body and health for my mind. And health for the mind is not something we just arrive at. It's work. And it's the sum of what we live each day. Some days it's easier, and some days it's harder. And it's not something we do alone. It happens in community, with people we call family, and with our therapists. We, as a culture, haven't always been the best at talking about our mental health, how we feel, what strategies we use, what help we seek, and how normal it is. That every single one of us has a mind that we inhabit all day, every day, and it deserves as much love, attention, and care as every single other part of our bodies. Taraji P. Henson has given us the gift of not only being open about her own experiences, but also creating conversations, spaces, and a powerful organization. What do you think are the biggest misperceptions about mental health in the Black community, particularly among Black women? That we don't have mental health issues, mm-hmm. that therapy and, you know, um, psychiatry and all of that, that's for white people. And we are stronger than that. <gasps> hey. Sorry, that's my dog. That was a quick amen. That's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> She's a girl, too. <laughs> um, I'm in complete agreement with you there, and it's a, it's a sad thing, and I'm uh, really... Uh, I respect so greatly what you're doing um, because of this. Thank you. We've got to normalize the conversation, you know? If we stay sweeping our trauma under the carpet, how do we heal? just pass that down and that's what's been happening Mm -hmm. we've acquired generational trauma because we still haven't talked about slavery and what that did to us the middle passage all of that Mm -hmm. we've never really dealt with it we're in a country where it's shunned we don't talk about those things they don't even want to teach it in books you know and so things that was our trauma we've learned how to cope Mm -hmm. and push through and push past and Enough is enough. You know, I think this pandemic has leveled us all and 
put us all on the same playing field in a way, whether you have money or not. I mean, we were all leveled and had to deal with uh, mental issues, being isolated, not being able to hug (laughs) your friends, see your friends, your family, scared to go outside, you know. People are still suffering. I I think I've developed social anxiety from the pandemic. I live in a house on top of a hill. I can sit up in here in this house three days straight and not ever go down to the hill, never leave my house. I can do it. And that's not cool. Like, (laughs) I'm I'm the party favor. Like, I like to go and see and do and... But the pandemic has changed that. And it's a struggle Mm -hmm. for me, you know? I do know. Yeah. You know, it's just not the same. No, it's stressful Mm -hmm. to be around people. Yeah. While your spirit is also at the same time yearning to be around people. Come on. I'm a people person. That's I love people, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's just different, strange times right now. And I'm having to really take my time and work through it and and, and not I'm going to be all right and I'm strong. I'm not doing that anymore Mm. because that's not healthy. Understanding the past is part of deciding how to move forward, mental health and survival. So how do you think that these misconceptions that live in our community and, and particularly that live within and around us as Black women. How do you think that these were created? And how do you think that we go about dismantling? I think they were created out of survival. Mm -hmm. We needed something to hold on to. Being Black women, we're the least protected, respected, you name it. We're at the bottom of the totem pole. So how do we rise above? We needed something to give ourselves to make us feel worthy, right? And being strong, yes, we are strong because we've had to be. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) That doesn't negate our mental state and Mm -hmm. what we've endured trying to push through and be strong. And I just remember being tired of being expected to be strong. Mm -hmm. You know, on days when I don't feel like it, I don't want to, I want to cry. I want to ball up in 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 the fetal position and I want somebody to take care of me today. It's too much. And... You know, we've just been pushing, pushing through and coping. And after a while, you hit a wall. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where mental breakdowns come in. That's where, you know, what do they call those psychotic breaks come in? Because you're only human, you know? And we aren't built to be strong like that. Building, someone said this, I can't remember who it was, but buildings are built to be strong. Bricks and mortar. But humans... We have to be flexible Mm. because things are coming at us all the time. You don't know how you're going to feel when you wake up today. Something you saw may trigger you. You need to take those moments to digest it and work through it all. Being strong is killing us. Being strong is why you go to the hospital and, you know, our sister Serena Williams, we almost lost her because they look at her. Oh, she's strong, you know. We're not, it dehumanizes us is what it does. It's make us magical or something that, you know, like invincible. But -hmm. at the end of the day, you cut me, I'm going to bleed just like if I were to cut you, you know? Mm -hmm. And nobody, nobody 
wants to have to be as strong as we have had to be. It's unfair. It's not fair. It's humanly impossible. I have had people, I've had relatives, and they mean nothing bad by it. Oh, but Anika, you're so strong. You can do this. You can make it through. Yeah, they just, that's, we've been conditioned to think like that. That is coping skills handed down to us, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not dealing with our trauma. The roles we choose to play and the ways in which they can take us away from or bring us back to ourselves. I am very protective of self. And while there may be bits of character energy that rub off and stick with me for a time, when the curtain comes down or the director yells cut, I come back to center. I return to self. And it's important, not just for actors, but for all of us to have an internal beacon lit so you know where to return and be safe. I'm glad you you talked about that because the characters that you have brought to life on screen have been from a number of different backgrounds and come from a number of different mental spaces and perspectives. What do you do as an actor to inhabit those perspectives and spaces while also being able to come back to yourself and your own mental health and keep your mental health clean? I have... You know, trained actress is different. You realize you, your body is your instrument, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that. Um, and I know my instrument very well. So I know when to turn it on and turn it off. And for me, that is important because I'm very clear on who I am. And I have to be as an artist because if I'm missing things in my life, know that when it comes to the character on the page, I'm going to miss it on the page because I'm afraid to deal with my own shit, mm-hmm. if you will, you know? So mm-hmm. I have to be very cool and know exactly what who I am and what my instrument does. And that's years and years of training and work. I know I can literally be in a scene, uh, cut. So anyway, girl, last night, like I was saying, <laughs> like literally, because anything else for me is maddening. You know, and I understand thespians sometimes, you know, call me by the character name. That's great. I'm not judging. But, baby, call me by my name, please, because I need to stay rooted in reality because this person's problems, I don't want to take home with me. I got my Mm -hmm. own stresses and problems, you know. (laughs) So, but again, I can't tell another artist how to do that. That's just work, work with yourself enough to know the things that happens to your body when you say the word love or hate or whatever it is, you know? Yes. So that, and and for me, like I said, I live in between takes. I have to. I have to live in between takes so that the character is fresh when I go back. When they yell action, it's fresh. Yes. I'm not living in that character's turmoil because that does something to me as a person. And if I can only convey to you the truth if I if I'm living in it as a character, but what I don't want to do is live in their truth all the time, because some of those characters, <laughs> oh, you know, tragic. They were tragic, and I don't want to carry that all the time. Because no, you have to sleep. <laughs> you have to sleep. I must. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think you and I have had a very a similar training route. And so yeah. we're speaking on the same mm-hmm. level of where we are and how we do that. And I'm so glad to hear it because I, I've had a lot of young actors talk to me about process and about... Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with a particular 
young actor who was having a really hard time and we were working with some traumatic stuff. Mm-hmm. And this was somebody who felt like they needed to be method. And, I, you know, again, you're not telling anybody what works for them and how to do things, but I really had a really in-depth conversation about how method can be good for a moment but can wreck your entire being if you don't have a home base to come to when they holler cut. And when the, when the curtain comes down, when somebody hollers cut, you gonna get me. <laughs> and, and I think that you and I are very, very similar in that space because we have to caretake ourselves, and nobody's gonna yeah. do that. The director's not no. gonna come home with you and tell you how to move through your life. You have to find a way. No one is going to help you decompress. Yeah. No one is going to help you do that. Um, and, you know, acting is, it's, it's um, it, it can be dangerous depending on how deep you go because it, how deep you allow your instrument to take you because mm-hmm. um, it's almost like a possession mm. in a way. You know, you're asking this character's energy to use your body as a vessel, right? <laughs> to com- to tell their story. And so you better be very clear on what it is you're doing because I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm very spiritual anyway. So like I said, acting is very spiritual to me in a mm-hmm. sense. And it's very, it can be therapeutic too. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of using method, you know, um, or, you know, sometimes when you have to recall something in your life because maybe the words on the page aren't triggering you in a way that you need. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times I heal from past traumas, mm-hmm. you know, because I've I've used that in this scene. And then when I go back to recall it in my own personal life, the tears have dried up and it's like, wow, hmm. Baby boy was very much that for me. I stopped Mm. claiming to be the victim because through Yvette, I realized I was making choices. (laughs) Mm. No one had a gun up to my head and, you know, said, stay in here in this relationship or I'll kill you. No one ever said that. I chose Mm. to. That's beautiful. I learned that through a role, (laughs) not therapy, but I still need my therapist. (laughs) You do need your therapist, and I'm, I'm glad you said that out loud. And so many of us actors have therapists mm-hmm. um, so that we can function and, and be whole um, at the end of a day because we are. Every role, somehow, somewhere, there's a catharsis in there. There's something that you're going through that's going to yeah. affect and change you or affect and help you or affect and potentially hurt you if you don't have that base and just the way we have to move through life as actors, as celebrities, mm-hmm. our lives are under a microscope. We can't mess up or you'll get canceled. I mean, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. You're asking humans who are far from perfect to be perfect. And what is that? What is perfection? My therapist set me free when she said perfection is the perfect lie. Mm. I was like, wow, you just took a load off of me. And she's talking to a Virgo. 
<laughs> you know what I'm talking about, sis. I know exactly. Happy belated. What you were talking <laughs> to you. I know what that space is and how detrimental it can be to us as we search and push and pull and and that's a beautiful thing. I needed that. And guess what? You. My therapist is a Virgo. I was like, you stuck with me for life. You stuck with me for life. Because she gets me. She gets how I think. It's just, it's the perfect match. And it took me forever to find her. I had a director who, actually Anthony Minghella, who was who was fantastic. And mm. we were working on a scene, Number One Ladies, and I just kept doing this scene. There was one thing that I was trying specifically to do. It wasn't even written. It was something I, the words were there, but it was something I wanted to put forth. It was forth. a choice you made. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was doing it over and over. And, uh, and I was getting wound up because something wasn't working for me, you know? And he pulled me aside because we'd been shooting for a while. And he was like, Nico, you know, what's going on? I said, I just can't, I can't get it right. I just need to just give me a second to try to get this right. And he said to me, and in the same type of moment, he in, my, he in that moment was my therapist. Mm. He said to me, Anika, nothing you do is wrong. And he didn't mean that in life. He didn't mm. mean that I could not do wrong things in life. What he meant was that the choices I make are choices that are built from something that I have created, that I worked on, and to give myself the space to know that making the choice and doing my best was going to be great. Leave it. Absolutely. Leave it alone. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> Please. You made a choice. You committed to that choice. That's enough. And it ain't going to be perfect. It ain't going to be perfect. And everybody's not going to interpret it the way you think they should. <laughs> That's the beauty of art. That is the beauty of art. And that is the truth of life. Mm. Mm. I love that. So studies have shown that the vast majority of Black women identify as strong Black women. Mm-hmm. Which just shows how much that concept has become dominant in our culture and in the culture of America, uh, not just our culture as Black people. However, we've seen that identifying with that construct can lead to self-silencing, but also to a, another whole another range of negative mental health outcomes. How do we push back on that idea of a strong Black woman? How do we complicate it and transform it and turn it into something else? When people call me strong, I say, don't do that. You're dehumanizing me. Mm. I'm not a hero. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm not immortal. Like, <laughs> I have issues. I have mental. I don't feel good today. I'm weak today. I don't want to leave my house today, and that's my right. Stop taking it on. Stop when someone praises you, girl. You so strong today. Today I was strong. Mm. But I don't know what I'm gonna be tomorrow. You know, I think it's just changing the narrative, taking control of the narrative um, and not falling into. I know we all want to be strong, but what about that time when you just can't? We've all had them. And if this pandemic didn't teach us one thing, (laughs) I realized how weak I was during this pandemic. There were times where I was weak and then there were times when I was strong, but that's the beauty of being a a human. Mm -hmm. We weren't built to be strong like that, you know, 
um, invincible. I mean, Mm -hmm. how are we human if we can't feel anything? You have to, uh, you know what the strength is? Vulnerability. That's the strength. And I think that when you say that, that to me feels like a word that we could even put in place of weakness. Mm-hmm. Because you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable, and that's beautiful. Getting away from perfect and talking about it. I'm not so strong all the time. No one is. And in realizing that and saying it aloud, we dismantle the stigma. We don't need to say exactly the right things. We just need to start speaking about it. And that is someone who is living and walking in vulnerability all the time. All the time. So one of the things, the big things that you speak about is is stigma. In particular, the stigma that admissions of problems with mental health or seeking help can attract in the Black community. Only around one-third of Black adults who need mental health care receive it. What do you think, aside from what you have done, which is amazing, but for the everyday person um, who doesn't have the the uh, platform that y- you have, what do you think are some of the most effective ways to dismantle stigma? We just got to start talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, I was like, I just want to ha- have open, honest dialogue about it. That's why I rushed to the floor of Congress with my story, because I was like, I feel like people, kind, you know, you can tell when you're fa- they're your fans because they trust you, right? Because I get the you're so strong, you're so strong all the time. I felt that it was imperative that I spoke out, mm. right? Once they see me talking about it, well, if she, because she's done this and that and the third, well, surely I can. You know, that's all we wanted to do initially was let's just start talking about it. Lift the carpet up and sweep it, sweep this dust from up under here. There's generations and generations of dust and filth up under here that we just need to talk about it. We don't have to have all the right terminology just yet, but can we just all agree something ain't right? <laughs> you know, I don't feel 100 all the time. Today, I was thinking of suicide. Having suicide, idolation, those thoughts were very real during the pandemic. Indeed. I remember me saying that. Or everybody hitting me up. And I'm like, why are they hitting me up? I'm just talking, you know, because I'm on the other side of it. I knew I would never do it. But just saying it, I knew I had to get it out of my mouth because if you hold on to it too much in your head, it becomes a thought. Mm -hmm. And then a thought becomes an action, right? So because I'm in therapy, I knew that I had to say it. And once I said it, everybody else said, oh, my God, I was thinking the same thing. That fear will kill you. Fear, that's the threat. (laughs) Mm. That's the danger, living your life in fear. Fear shuns vulnerability because you're afraid. What are they going to think? What are they going to think? You can't live your life based on what other people are going to think. Because then that means you're trying to live up to some kind of expectation or some idea of perfection where humans are flawed AF. 
You know? Mm-hmm. I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are. We're all flawed. I don't even know what perfect is. I hate that word. The literal impact of stigma. Black women and HIV. Another space that is connected to both mental health and stigma is HIV. Mm. So black women are 12 times more likely to be diagnosed than white women. And 43% of black women living with HIV are not connected to care. Now, there's a big piece of that which is connected to stigma. And it leaves black women isolated, vulnerable, and unable to access both prevention and treatment. How do you think we step into a way to change that? I mean, we've been trying to change that for how long? It's systemic. Like you said, um, education. Uh, people still don't aren't fully understanding HIV and AIDS. Still, to this day, and how long have we been living with this? It's just the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, shame... Shame and fear, those are brother, brother and sister. They live together. I honestly, I, I don't know how, how. We just got to keep talking about it and educating and doing what we can do in our community, get the resources to folk. Because a lot of it is just not having the resources. Mm-hmm. Like you said, um, not having the preventative education mm-hmm. or measures or care, health care. A beautiful gift. The difference we can make for each other. What we model for ourselves, for our families, for our friends is transformative. The legacy we leave when we change the way we speak about our health, particularly our mental health. So talk to me more um, about your dad. And and you talked, you, you tapped into intergenerational trauma a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. You named your foundation, the the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, after your mm-hmm. dad, who, in the ways you've described, his relationship to mental health and accessing services provides a positive counter-narrative to some of the ways we often talk about intergenerational trauma. Can you share a little bit about your father with us and his perspective yeah. on mental health and how it affected your own. He was just very real. He was one of those guys that his heart, he wore his heart on his sleeve. There was no buffer. He said what he said and he meant what he said. He wasn't always right, but and he would man up and say, you know, I was wrong. I'm sorry. But he just lived in his truth. He was fearless. He just talked about all of the, he just didn't want anybody to go through any of the things that he went through in life. So that's why he was so open to the young cats on the streets and telling them like, dude, hey, you better get that anger under control. Being a black man popping off like that, eh, that's not going to help you in life, you know, get mm-hmm. that, get that under control, you know. Um, he would always talk about when he tried to commit suicide one time, he would show the wound in his head. I mean, he was just very it gave, it made me um, confident, very confident person. I was never afraid to speak my mind. And not only that, he just believed in me. If my dad believed in you, man, he could talk 
a, a blind man into sight. Like that's <laughs> that's how he was. Like I am literally came to LA off of his fumes. What he fed me, he was like, "You're gonna do this. You're gonna be one of the greatest actors alive." And this and that and the third. And I believed him. I came out to Hollywood believing my father's word. And every time I would call and be like, "I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's gonna work out." He would be like, "Stop that. That's the devil trying to you anything." Good in life ain't going to be easy. And God got you. I mean, he was just, I miss him so much because I just wish I could hear him right now. Just, even though I know he's with me, all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the selfish part of me, (laughs) I want him here because I want to hear him. I just want to, what would he have to say right now? I could guess all day long. I don't know. But I just would love to hear. And this, you know, he would always be like, I want to be famous. I want the world to know my name. And I was like, well, Dad, they know it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, I'll never forget the Post, Washington Post did a article on me. And they wanted to talk to my mom and my dad. And I think the reporter asked, you know, how she's such, she's so good at uh, human feelings and this and that and the third. And he shared even in this um write-up he was saying how he was a he used his life and his um, trials and tribulations as an open road map like he didn't hide anything from me he told me even when he was wrong he was like I was wrong I messed up you know he he showed me that it's okay to be human to be beautifully flawed and to long as you own it what can anybody say? No one can. If you know you, it's nothing you can say that's going to hurt me because I know me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know me. You can't use my flaws against me because they're, they're, they're that flaws. What about yours? You want to talk about your flaws? You're just going to point the finger at me as if I'm the only one, you know? So he just instilled such a ferocious spirit inside of me. Like, and the way he cared about, like if he cared about you, like I said, if you couldn't walk, he would talk you into getting up out of that wheelchair. That's how I am, you know? That's what the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, I put up my own money to start that foundation because I know we're hurting and we don't have the 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 the, the resources, you know? Mm-hmm. And I believe God's timing is everything because we didn't, we had no idea this, who knew that we were going to be going through a pandemic, right? And people were going to be, oh, God, the mental, the mental job that did on everyone, right? Especially us. And not having anywhere to turn or talk to. And I just think, wow, God, is so good because Black people, we're talking about it now. Mm. We're talking about it in ways that I've never seen before. And that's commercials up now? Commercials? <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, that's when you know you're doing God's work. And I'm not taking all the credit, but I'm going to say that since I've been like, ah, 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 <laughs> I've <laughs> taken notice that there's more conversations being had around the, the, the subject. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to get folk talking. But I do also think that you do have the right to take a lot of credit because what you created is something magnificent and you did it on your own, through your own steam, and through the love of a father who was not afraid to talk about his issues and was not afraid to be open and share his trauma 
in order to save you from potentially stepping into your own. And through that, I created a foundation. So, Dad, you doing work, man. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And you love him so much. And I've, so I've much. always seen that in you. Mm-hmm. You've, whenever you've spoken about him, you loved him so much. But he also loved you so much. So much. What a gift. Don't make me cry, Anika. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful gift. So many people don't know or didn't say in time or didn't hear it in time. It's a beautiful gift. Creating and defining our spaces. We need each other. We are not the enemy. How do you think we can create a mental space for ourselves, balancing an acknowledgement of what we dealt with in the past, historically in this country, slavery and all that came behind it, with our experience in the present, what we're dealing with now, how we're functioning, and how we want to move into the future? Again, open dialogue. The more sisters sit down and have conversations like this, the more we heal and the more we're able to find our way. You know, I think Black women, it's us. Like, we have to stick together. Not like we don't fuck with y'all. It's not that. (laughs) It's for our own mental health because women in general are pitted against each other to what? Win the man, right? Okay. Uh We need to take that, dismantle that. So then if women, and then you start breaking down all the different categories, we're always going to fall at the bottom. So if we're feuding with each other, Mm -hmm. how will we save ourselves? I can't save myself by myself. I need your help. (laughs) (laughs) I can't sell my own hair products to myself. How am I going to make money? I need you my, you to fall in love with it. I need it to work on your hair like it worked. Like we need each other. And when we do that, that's when we succeed. That's when we heal. <laughs> we are not the enemies. We can't fight and feud each other. We have to sit down and have open, honest dialogue like this. That's how we heal so that we can see a future. <laughs> and we have to teach our, our ba- these young girls coming up that I love what I'm seeing in hip-hop right now with the Black women. Mm-hmm. They are just holding each other up. I don't care if you like the what they're singing about or not. For me, it's what visual, vis, you know, the representation and the collaborations that they're com- that they're having. Like, men been doing it for years. They can put their differences aside. They can come together and they can make that money, right? But women, we're emotional creatures, right? I'm loving, I love seeing it. I love seeing it and I'm going to preach it. And I, that's why I show love to sisters so much because we all we got. And we are in this together. I don't care how high you make it in whatever industry or whatever you do in life. If you black, you're going to always be seen as a black woman first. I don't care how much you say, I want to be seen as a human being. I know, I know, baby. But unfortunately in this world, <laughs> the truth is, You're always going to be black this, black that. Who wants to go through that alone? I don't. I want to be able to talk to somebody who understands my struggle so we can work this thing out together and figure out how we can make it better. But we can't do that in separate corners, feuding with each other, hating on each other. 
That's never going to work. It has never worked for us. That's what I loved about Hidden Figures. That was a beautiful movie. Yes, man went to space. I don't care about that. What I care about is the black women and how they stuck together and lifted each other up. No backstabbing. No, I'm better than her. I should be doing this. They lifted each other up. And that's how we got man on the moon. Working on our mental health is complicated. And some days it's joyful, and some days it's just hard. Some of us are further along that journey than others, but every step we take in the direction of caring for ourselves matters, big or small. Taking care is protective, and so is community. The more we build each other up, the stronger our reinforcements, the safer we are. Women like Tarashi have shown me that and I am so grateful. Mm-hmm. What I want to say, and I don't think anybody ever listens to you speak and they're like, oh, she ain't for real. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody ever has thought that. But for, no, the, for the one person who might be sitting there being like, oh, well, they just have the college because they in the same system and yaga, 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 yaga. For that one person, I want to say everything that you have said just now, just in in response to that question, you've always been this person. I, I came to the Hollywood portion of this business later than you. I came behind you. And um, from the moment I met you, your hand was stretched out to me. The first thing you did was call me to try to get me on a film. It didn't I work sure out, did. but you did it. You did it. I still be fighting for you for everything. I'm, I'm like, call Anika. What are y'all doing? <laughs> I am. I, I still very much want us to work together. But the, the point of that is that you have always been a champion of me as a black woman coming into this business right behind you. You never were like, oh, uh-uh, mm-mm, not her. Close that door because she's getting a little heat or this, that, and the other. You have always greeted me with a smile. You've always greeted me with a hug. You've always been kind and warm and giving to me. And I want to say out loud on this platform how much I appreciate your heart and your spirit because it is the same all the time. And that is you. And that is truly the gift that, that is you. So thank you. And thank you for sharing that with people. And, and that really, that's your kernel. That's you. Being Seen is produced by Harley & Company and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare. <laughs>